Welcome to CCC's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, November 10th, 2023. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Executive Editor, joins me today from New York City. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. In early October, Andrew, you reported that streaming music giant Spotify would soon launch an audiobook service across several key markets. The program has since debuted in the UK and Australia, and this week the service launched in the US. Publishers have welcomed it, but authors and literary agents are asking some tough questions. Yes, yeah, so some pretty big news this week. It's a little over a month after launching in the UK and Australia, Spotify streaming audiobook service is now available in the US. Uh, and I should point out that that's probably a little faster than we expected at the October launch of the program. We were told that the US market would come sometime around the winter, but here we are in November and it's already live. Uh, the program gives tens of millions of Spotify premium, that is paid subscribers, access to a catalog of more than 200,000 audiobook titles, including titles from all the big five publishers. And a quick refresher, under the new program, Spotify premium subscribers in the U.S. get access to, actually subscribers in all markets, get access to 15 hours a month to access digital audiobooks, which they can use however they please. So they can sample across many titles. Uh, they can listen to an entire work, uh, more than one work, actually. 15 hours is about enough time to listen to an average audiobook all the way through and probably to get through about half of a second audiobook, observers say. Uh, and users will also be able to pay uh, $10.99 to, quote, top off uh, with 10-hour blocks if they want to keep listening to audio on the platform. Uh, Spotify officials say the U.S. catalog includes 70% of the bestseller list. Uh, some of the major publishers like Penguin Random House, uh, for instance, have put all of their titles in the program. Others among the big five are being a little more cautious in windowing some of their bigger titles. But suffice it to say, this move is a major moment for Spotify, which is really banking on audiobooks to fuel more growth for the platform. And it's also big for the publishers who have really expressed excitement and expanding the reach of digital audiobooks to millions of potential readers on the platform, and especially the young readers that Spotify can deliver. And that's something that, according to a few reports recently, is going to be really very important uh, for publishers to reach that demographic. It's also been very challenging, we should point out, for publishers to reach that demographic. Uh, still, as you know, some authors and agents remain skeptical of the program. Uh, many agents are saying they were not consulted before the program was launched. Uh, others are questioning the payment structure and more broadly questioning whether this sort of limited foray into streaming is actually good for the book business or whether it will devalue reading and harm book buying. So uh, there's still not a lot of clarity about exactly how the program works. But I did manage to speak to a few publishers on background, and again, they were all very bullish on the program. And while they understood the concerns that some authors and agents might have, they all sounded very confident that this program is really going to be good for everyone. For PW this week, Andrew, you shared new details about how the program does work. Tell us about that and offer your own take on whether the Spotify audiobook program represents good news or not for the industry. So short answer is yes. In my personal opinion, I think that this program is good news, really good news. And I think it's an important step for publishers. And you know, I could talk a little more about why in a moment. But as to the question of the money and how the money works, I did 
you know, was able to get a few more details out of this, a couple of things to report, even though I got this information on background. You know, so just another step back here, the Society of Authors in the UK and other authors and agents groups, too, had expressed, you know, that there were concerns about uh, a number of things, including competition concerns, right? Because this announcement, all of the publishers was announced at a single time. You know, it, it appeared coordinated. And that, I think, recalled for some the Apple eBooks case of a decade ago. But I don't think that there's any concern there. Remember, in the Apple case, Judge Denise Cote held that simultaneous negotiation was perfectly legal. In the Apple case, it was the coordination uh, of that program that raised concerns. And that's really not present here at all. These deals according to all the publishers I spoke to, were all done strictly independently, even though they were done pretty much simultaneously. And I did get to learn a little bit more about how the program works in terms of the money. And basically, it's purchase-based. And what that means is that once a listener hits a certain threshold of listening, which publishers said was a very reasonable threshold, Spotify pays the publishers a purchase price. So it's not based on a percentage of book reads, as some have said, uh, and it's not a, a revenue pool, et cetera. What I've been told is that it is going to be, quote, purchase-based. And, you know, there's a few other things here, too, that the publishers wanted built into this program that they got. And one is that it's limited, right? This is not an all-you-can-eat subscription access program. It's capped at 15 hours with an option to buy more. And all of the publishers that have, you know, I spoke to, for them, that was a red line for publishers, right? They didn't want this all-you-can-eat subscription access model for publishing, but the limited 15 hours thing worked for them. Um, the other thing was that the payment terms, they all said, are very clear, right? Like, like I said, this is purchase-based. It's not about revenue pooling or some complicated scheme for hours read, right? This is once you hit the threshold, you get paid for the book. And three, I think this is the most important point, really, is does anyone really think that any publisher in the market now would agree to terms that pay them less, than the other platforms, right? Especially in a digital audio market that is still surging, that is still growing by an impressive pace every year. Uh, of course not, right? And indeed, that's what the publishers told me, is that the publishers have terms here that are absolutely on par, analogous is what one publisher told me, with other services, most notably Audible's credit-based model. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Authors and agents won't really understand that just yet because they haven't seen it reflected in their, their royalty statements. And at least one publisher said they understood that, but that once publishers, or excuse me, agents and authors do see the royalty statements, they'll understand that this really is good for everyone. Uh, we'll see if that's actually the case, but publishers appear confident that it will be. The most exciting part of the deal, I think, for publishers is that this program puts digital audiobooks in front of tens of millions of listeners as I said, many of them younger, who spend many hours a day listening to music and podcasts on Spotify. And in connection with the launch, Spotify surveyed a thousand Gen Z and millennials and found that younger generations lead in audiobook listening. According to Spotify, a whopping 72% of 18 to 34-year-olds say they listen to audiobooks. And again, that's a vital demographic the publishers have struggled to reach and that they really are going to have to do better with if they're going to grow in the future. So Look, lots of speculation about what this Spotify thing means for streaming and for subscription access for publishers in general. 
but I don't think we need to view this deal through that broader lens of subscription access. I think publishers will continue to be kind of resistant to subscription access programs for books, but a limited foray like this for digital audio, I think certainly makes sense. And publishers are convinced that it will be, to use the words of one publisher, additive, that it will grow the digital audio pie and bring in new customers and younger customers. And this is really exactly what publishers and authors want and need. So yeah, I think it's a pretty exciting program to try and we'll follow it and see how it goes. Cultivating those new readers, particularly young readers, is a longstanding challenge for publishers, Andrew. Media consumption by millennials and Gen Zers is the subject of two fascinating reports published this week. The American Library Association and the U.S. National Endowment for the Arts have both found a decline in reading habits that should worry some publishers. Yes, so we talked a lot about how book sales spiked during the pandemic and whether that was the industry winning new readers and winning new customers or whether that was just selling more books to their existing customers. Uh, They're so-called, you know, they call them power readers. Well, a new report from the National Endowment for the Arts seems to dash hopes that we actually have created a lot of new readers. Uh, As my boss, Jim Milliot, reported for the magazine this week, uh, the NEA survey, which they do every five years, found that in the 12-month period Prior to July 2022, 48.5% of adults read one or more books for pleasure, and that's down five points, uh, almost five points, from the nearly 53% uh, in 2017 that say they read a book for pleasure. Uh, and you know, 2017 was when the NEA conducted its prior survey, and that decline was greater than the drop between previous surveys, right? It was greater than the decline between 2012 and 2017 when reading fell by just two percentage points. But we should note also that that number has been in decline for a number of years, just had its biggest jump uh, during the last survey. The biggest decline came in, surprisingly, the 55 to 64-year-old demographic, where the percentage of those who had read a book for pleasure fell from 53.6% in 2017 to 43.6%, a pretty significant drop. Uh, The percentage of younger readers, meanwhile, uh, again, those are ages 18 to 34. We just talked about them with the Spotify uh, program. Then those numbers actually held steady, um, which is not terrible news. You know, holding steady, you know, flat is kind of probably a good thing here, but we really do need to do better with the younger readers. That is the perception of the publishing industry. So they are not viewing that number as good news in the publishing industry. Results were even more discouraging when the report drilled down to look at adult reading patterns for things like novels and short stories. The study found that in the 2021 to 2022 span, the percentage of readers who read a novel or a story fell to 37.6%, and that's down four points from 2017. And there's a line from the report that I'm going to pull up and quote here because I think it says it all. It is sobering to reflect that our stretches of isolation and self-quarantining were unaccompanied by a boom in reading novels or short stories. Uh, That's from the authors of the study. And again, that's something that flies in the face of the surging book sales we saw during that same period of the pandemic. Now, the other report, the ALA report, uh, was a little more hopeful for publishers, but still replete with looming challenges, I think, for the industry. That survey was conducted by Portland State University's Kathy Inman Barons and Rachel Nordic. They both do excellent work. And this is a fascinating report that was done with the support from the American Library Association. And that report found that Gen Z and millennials are still using public libraries, in fact, at a higher rate than older Americans. So that's good news, but not necessarily for books. Um, at the same time, 
Younger library users are reading the report found and they're buying books. Uh, the report found that 52% said they have borrowed from the library digital collection too, but that there was still a distinct preference for print books. And I should point out there was a real preference for audio, once again, tying back to the Spotify program uh, at the top of our podcast. Uh, this report offers a really good snapshot, challenges and opportunities alike, of a generation that has grown up in a digital environment and how that digital environment has shaped reading behavior and reading preferences and how they discover uh, new books. As Rachel Norder wrote in the report, Gen Z and millennials are engaging with books but they also are engaging with other forms of media. They're gamers, they're readers, writers. They are fans who are comfortable with the, and I'll quote the report again here, malleability between media categories and forms. And I really like that phrase, comfortable with malleability, because no one would say that's true about publishers, right? And again, back to the Spotify program, uh, I think that's a, an example of that because it's it's a very limited foray into meeting younger readers where they are. But at the same time, it has still drawn concerns from a number of people in the industry, uh, suggesting that they're not quite comfortable with the quote-unquote malleability of today's media. Uh, just a couple of points, too, that I'd like to highlight from the report. Some good news here. The report found that bookstores remain an important part of reading for many Americans in the 13 to age 40 group, uh, with 58% of Gen Z and millennials reporting having bought a book in a bookstore in the prior 12 months. So some very good news there, actually. Uh, at the same time, subscription only or these uh, mobile exclusive content that comes through apps uh, is also surging. It's huge. And, you know, in terms of audio, I found this number to be very eye-opening. 30% of Gen Z and 38% of millennials subscribe to Audible. I think that's a pretty significant market share and suggests that a lot of people are listening to audiobooks among younger generations. And on ebook lending, the survey also had some uh, key insights. Younger readers see fair license terms for publishers and libraries as a racial equity issue, which... I believe it is. And the data shows that, you know, long waits for digital books at libraries seem to particularly disadvantage BIPOC communities more than the general population. But here's a key data point on ebooks and libraries that jumped out for me. 75% of Gen Z and millennial physical library patrons believe that a wait of one week or less is long. At the same time, almost a third of Gen Z and millennials reported reading pirated ebooks from free or unlicensed sources. And the survey concludes rightly, I think, that that's a large potential audience whose needs are not currently being met by these long wait times, either in the physical library or in the digital library market. And finally, one last thing that will surprise absolutely no one reading this, uh, listening to this podcast, social media is a huge driver of book sales with Gen Z and millennials. Nearly a third of this demographic in the survey reported buying books based on recommendations from Instagram and TikTok. So I'll stop there. It's a lot to digest. Both are important reads. You can read the coverage on the PW site, and you can also link out and read to the reports uh, from there. Uh, both reports, I think, are well worth reading. Finally, Andrew, All Seasons Press has sued one of its own authors, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, over alleged lies in his 2021 memoir, The Chief's Chief. Yeah, so a fascinating turn of events here, really. Um, the All Seasons Press, which is an upstart publisher of conservative voices, uh, citing increasingly credible, uh, that quote's right from the, the lawsuit, from the, from the complaint, 
citing these increasingly credible media reports that Mark Meadows has been cooperating with special counsel Jack Smith's investigation into Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election, reportedly in exchange for immunity from prosecution. Well, given those media reports, the publisher has filed a lawsuit uh, they pulled the book from the market and they are suing in Florida state court to claw back Mark Meadows, $350,000 advance, as well as going for millions in damages as well. And the suit comes after ABC news reported on October 24th, that Meadows reportedly told investigators, uh, that he had never seen any evidence of fraud that would have kept Joe Biden from the white house and that neither he nor Trump really believed the election was stolen. And those statements, uh, the complaint notes, if accurate, would squarely contradict statements Meadows made in his book and clear and direct breach of contract provisions in which Meadows warrants that all statements in his book are true and accurate. Um, The suit goes on to say that widespread reports of Meadows' cooperation has contributed to tanking book sales, but it's been tanking for a while. Figures from Circana Bookscan show that the book has only sold about five, a little over 500 copies uh, in 2023. And this is just an extraordinary lawsuit, and it's one we're going to be watching because we want to see what Meadows does or what really happens after this. For one, the claims really don't seem ripe, right? Because we don't know what Meadows has told investigators yet. They even admit that in the lawsuit that this is all based on media reports. So it seems like filing a lawsuit to claw back the advance money is premature because we don't know what Meadows has told any investigators. We don't know if he's lying in the book. We don't know if he lied to investigators. We just don't know at this point. But more curiously, the suit notes that the publisher raised these concerns about Meadows' cooperation and statements in this book uh, right before the book was published in 2021, uh, that in connection with Congress's January 6th investigation. But they decided to brush off those concerns and publish the book anyway. Um, so we will see how this all goes, but there's just one final observation, uh, that I wanted to make about this. And that's that when all seasons press launched in 2021, uh, just months before it published Meadows book, it claimed that it launched because it wanted to take on the quote, cancel culture that's destroying the publishing industry and the country. And it pledged to quote, stand by our authors, rain or shine. Well, it's raining for Mark Meadows now. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Executive Editor, thanks for joining me on the program with your reporting and editorial analysis. My pleasure, as always. That's all for now. Our producer is Rob Simon of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to this program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. You can also find Velocity of Content on YouTube as part of the CCC channel. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening.